Didn't know I was going to say all that, but I guess it just kind of leads up to where the Lord's dealt with our heart about this morning. Book of Acts chapter number 8. We'll try to read some verses here and to deliver to you what's on our heart for today. It's already been said, there's several out, we miss them when they're not here. And I think there would be something majorly wrong with us if we didn't miss our brothers and sisters when they're not with us. Uh, But the reality is that the Lord knew who would be here before we ever got here this morning. And He knew what would be needed and who would need the Word of God that He's chose to send today. And so I'm grateful for the knowledge of God, the foreknowledge of God, and Him setting all things up as seemed good to Him. Acts chapter 8, let's stand together if you're able and willing to do so out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Acts chapter 8, now I want to say this, most of this is common knowledge, I'm satisfied if you've read the Bible in any length you'll understand, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1, it's going to say his death and it's talking about Stephen, his martyrdom, his death is recorded in Acts chapter 7, and so Acts chapter 8 verse number 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power 
that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now, we read these verses here in Acts chapter number 8. We've said already, we know the context, the majority of us, I'm satisfied, that has brought us to this place. Of course, we know that in Acts chapter 1, the Lord has appeared to many people, and He ascends back to the Father. Before He ascends, He tells them to tarry at Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 2, they are all in one mind and one accord, dwelling together in one place at Jerusalem. That is the apostles. And the power of God comes, the Holy Ghost, like a mighty rushing wind while they are at Jerusalem. They begin to preach as the Holy Ghost gives them utterance. And they are preaching and others are hearing in their own language. Now we understand that it is a great feast day and many are come from all areas of life because they are Jews, they have come back to Jerusalem. That is why it's such a miracle that they all heard in their own language. Even though by nationality they were all Jews, by language they all spoke different languages. They said some of us are Medes, some are Parthians and Elamites, and the list goes on and on, and they heard every man in their own language. The only answer that they could come up with is these men are drunk. And Peter stands up with boldness through the power of the Holy Ghost and he says these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's just the third hour of the day. It's just the middle of the day. He said, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he begins to preach that prophecy of the Old Testament concerning the pouring out of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. And as Peter preaches, he goes all the way back to the beginning and talks about how that they by wicked hands had taken of the Lord Jesus Christ and had crucified the Lord of glory. And the Bible said that as Peter preached in this boldness and this power and authority by the Holy Ghost, and can I stop there and say there's a great difference in preaching in the boldness and the power of the Holy Ghost and preaching in a spirit of arrogance. And it should never be confused. Just because a preacher's bold and arrogant does not mean that he has the Holy Ghost. But there is a testimony if the preacher has an unction on him and a power on him that cannot be denied and if he can preach a message that cannot be resisted then it is the proof of the power of the Holy Ghost.
Holy Ghost. If Peter was doing this in his own ability, if Peter's own boldness, if his own fleshly arrogance wasn't prayed, then these men would not have been affected as they were. They could have resisted the message that Peter preached, but because he had the power of the Holy Ghost, they could not resist. And the Bible said they were pricked in their heart. Not by Peter, but by the Holy Ghost on Peter. And they asked Peter, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. 3,000 were saved at Jerusalem. And the work continues on. They go to the gate of the temple, Peter and John. There's a lame man sitting outside the gate asking alms at the gate called Beautiful. And he, they walk by him and he asks of them as he has everybody else. And Peter said, look on us. And he expected, the scriptures say, to receive some good thing. He expected some gold or some silver or something monetary that would help him through the day. But what he got on that day would not just help him on that day, but it helped him the next day and the next day and the next day. Peter said, silver and gold have I none. And I think that man probably got a little discouraged at that statement. But Peter said, but wait, such as I have, give I in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise and walk and the Bible said immediately he stood his feet and ankle bones received strength and he went into the temple walking leaping and praising God and everybody in the temple knew that this was he that sat at the gate and they all came together wondering at what was done to him and Peter again took the opportunity as he was emboldened by the Holy Ghost to preach to them again that it was Jesus Christ of Nazareth that had done this for this man and he could do the same for them and they all repented and 5,000 were saved and now the conversation is these men have turned the world upside down there's a bunch of the religious leaders get together and they say what are we going to do and one old man by the name of Gamaliel he, he might not have known much about this Christ but he knew enough about God. He said, leave it alone. He said, if it's a men, it will come to naught. He said, there have been others that have come and that have done many miraculous and wonderful things in their own name and they're all gone. But he said, but you better leave it alone because if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found to fight against God himself. In other words, Gamaliel said, just leave them alone and let time tell. Well, thank God time told. And it's still going on. And now the apostles have been persecuted. Saul is in charge of this great persecution. He hates God, the God that they preach. Oh, he feels like he's serving Jehovah God, the God of Abraham. He feels like he's dedicated and religious. But he hates Jesus Christ and he hates these Christians. And he's the Bible said in these verses he's wreaking havoc on the church he's going into every house and if he even distinctly feels like they might be a Christian he's arresting them whether they were men or women and bringing them back to Jerusalem for trial and for many of them execution Stephen has stood up and preached and he preached to them in the power of the Holy Ghost the Bible said he was full of the Holy Ghost now, he preached to them 
There's really nowhere in the Scripture that Peter was ever identified, that uh, that Stephen was ever identified per se as a preacher, but he preached a message on this day. Stephen was one of them that was chosen when they set aside men full of the Holy Ghost. And he was so full of the Holy Ghost uh, that he stood there and the Bible said they stopped up their ears and they ran on him and gnashed on him uh, with their teeth and he looked up and said, I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Father, the Bible said, while they're stoning him, uh, he kneels down and prays and said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. And he fell asleep. It never does say Peter died or Stephen died. Sometimes I think and I understand the language that it's probably right language to say that Stephen was the first martyr. But Stephen didn't die. He just fell asleep. The Holy Ghost just took him on out kind of like God did Enoch. He was and then he was not. And that's how Stephen was. He was and then he was not. He just fell asleep. But see this power that they had. It was not them. It was the power that they possessed that was turning the world upside down. And we've lost sight of that. Now we think it's us. And we've lost the power. And the reason why the church today is not turning the world upside down. We have the power to. We have access to the power to turn the world upside down. We're not living in any worse days than they were in. In reality, we're not in any worse days. Matter of fact, we have less person. We don't even know what it means to be persecuted like they were. The Bible said they were so persecuted that everybody that was in the church at Jerusalem beside the apostles, they scattered abroad. And that's the address that James makes in James chapter 1 to the 12 times that are scattered abroad. That's who he's writing to. These Jewish Christians who had been so persecuted that they fled for their life. But as they fled, now before we pass judgment, you say, well, why didn't they stay? It was ordained of God. He said, you're going to be witnesses of me in Judea and Samaria and even the uttermost parts of the earth. They were already witnesses at Jerusalem. They were already having an effect on Judea. And because of the persecution of the church, they were going to go to Samaria and then they were going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the Bible said that as they went, they preached the gospel everywhere they went. They didn't have to leave just because they left the apostles and just because they left Jerusalem didn't mean that they had to leave the power behind. The power was in them. And they carried the power with them. And now we find out that this man called Philip, who many have termed him Philip the Evangelist, and it does appear that he does the work of an evangelist. He preaches here in Samaria. And they began to believe. And they began to get saved. And he calls for Peter and John. And he says, won't you come and see what the Lord is doing in Samaria. Really it does seem like that Philip is an evangelist. And he calls for the pastorate men, Peter and John, from the apostles to come and oversee what God is doing and to establish what God is doing in the church at Samaria. Many of them have believed. Many of them have been saved. Many of them have been baptized. But none of them have yet received the Holy Ghost. And so Peter and John come under the authority of God and they begin to pray 
and lay hands on them and they all receive the Holy Ghost. Now I want to back up right there and say this. We have to be careful. We're in the book of Acts. We're in a transitional book. I can't lay my hands on you and give you the Holy Ghost. That's done. That's over with. This was a sign and a wonder and a power in these days that was reserved for the apostles on. And if any man comes and claims in this day in 2023 to be an apostle, you better label him as a heretic that doesn't know anything about what he's talking about for the qualification for an apostle was first of all, they had to see the Lord face to face. That's why Paul said, even though he had already been resurrected and ascended back, he said, I saw him as of one born out of due time. He said, in other words, he had his eye on me and his mind on me. As a matter of fact, Paul said, I was separated in my mother's womb to preach the gospel. Ain't that amazing? That God knew. It goes all the way back to what Brother Tim was saying this morning Sunday school. Boy, it just stirred up in me that God knew what Paul would do. God knew what Saul would do. And yet before Saul was ever conceived in his mother's womb, God had a plan for him to be one of the greatest preachers of the gospel that ever walked the earth. God knew what you'd do. And still yet He had a plan. You can label me whatever you want to label me. I'm not preaching this morning that some are born to go to heaven, some born to go to hell, but I'm preaching that God knew before I was ever created in my mother's womb where I would be today on this Sunday morning, standing behind this pulpit, trying to preach to some folks that are interested in the power of God. And while they're in Samaria and all these things are going on, there comes this man by the name of Simon. And the Bible said that in the past, they called him a sorcerer. That, that's how we identify. There are so many Simons in the Bible that we identify this man as Simon the sorcerer. And he had bewitched them and they had, had been persuaded by him and revered him and held him in high regard because of apparently some kind of power that he had apparently through wickedness. But it says that he believed also and was baptized. And there's a lot of debate because of what Simon says about whether or not Simon was really saved. That's not for us to judge. And that, that's, that, that's irrelevant this morning to what's on my heart. But Simon believes and he's baptized and he follows Philip. Sounds pretty good. And he begins to watch. Philip calls for Peter and John. They come. The Holy Ghost has not yet been given. And uh, while they come, they pray. And they ask the Lord to give them the Holy Ghost and lay their hands on them. And everyone that they do, they receive the Holy Ghost. Now we have to understand that in the book of Acts, in this transitional time, that the receiving of the Holy Ghost was always manifested by outward works. They would speak in tongues, other things to demonstrate what God had done for them. You have to understand this is the beginning of the church. There's so much persecution. There has to be some outward evidence concerning that they have been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Now I'm going to say this. The Paul said to the Corinthian church, when that which is in part is done away with, that which is complete has come. That's what we now have, the complete copy of the, we have the whole revelation of God to man. And so all them other apostolic signs that were only be used in the apostles' day, they've all been done away with. Now we have the completeness. We have the perfectness. But I do still believe that if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, 
that it will produce outward show in you of what's went on inwardly. There'll be evidence to those around you that you have been filled with the Holy Ghost. You say, preacher, you're preaching charismatic doctrine. No, I'm not. It's in the New Testament church epistles to us to not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. That is a command from God to every believer. To be filled with the Holy Ghost is a privilege reserved for every born again child of God. But few of them exercise the privilege to have it. And here comes this Simon. And the Lord spoke this in my heart as real as anything he's ever spoke to me. And I don't have a lot of formality this morning. I don't have anything fancy, but I have God stirring in my heart and I'm trying my best to give it to you as He's given it to me. Simon comes and he says, let me give you some money and you give me this power that on whosoever I lay hands, they can receive the Holy Ghost. And the Lord dealt with my heart last night to preach this morning on putting a price on the power. Putting a price on the power. Now I understand that Simon was not specifically speaking of just the Holy Ghost, but of the power to lay hands on others and they receive the Holy Ghost. We have to understand Simon's background. That he was always highly regarded. And he still, if he was saved, And it leads, looks like that he probably was. But he was still dealing with the flesh. And his flesh was accustomed to him being the most respected man in the community. But now this Philip and this Peter and this John have come and they have the ability to do things he's never been able to do. And he says, I want to do these things. How much do I have to pay? And Peter said, let your money perish with you. He said, you think that this power can be bought with money? He said, there's no price to put on this power. And matter of fact, he said, you have no part in this matter. And He was not talking about not having a part in the church. He was saying, you're not an apostle. You have not been given this power explicitly by Christ. So it's not even applicable to you, this power. But the Holy Ghost is available. And that's the power that's on my heart to preach about this morning. And I think if they, and God has birthed in me the pastor's heart. And I'm not bragging on me. That's just what I'm made to be. I spent about two and a half years in evangelistic work and I appreciate every door that God opened. It was in the mind of God and the will of God. One specific year I remember resigning the last church I was at. I felt so low. And so at the bottom I told my wife, I'll never preach again. I'm washed up. Nobody will ever want me. And God proved me wrong. And that year I remember standing amongst some of you and testifying that on that year I preached 47 out of 52 weeks in the year. That was the work of God. But I remember talking to an older preacher. I said, there's something missing in me. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I love how to preach the gospel and I love being able to see new folks and share the word of God. But I said, there's something missing. I'm not, there's something missing. I'm not pastoring. He said, are you not satisfied? Now this was a 
very wise man and probably one of the greatest heroes I have in this life. And he looked at me and he said, are you not satisfied being an evangelist? I said, I appreciate every door that the Lord has opened, but there's something missing. He said, you have a pastor's heart. And he said, wait on God, it'll come around. Well, here I am this morning. And God's put me in this place. And I believe that God calls a pastor to build a church. Now that doesn't mean that he calls him with sticks and stone and, and drywall to build a building. Nor does it mean that he calls him to be able to drag people in. But he calls him to preach the word of God so that a church can grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And therefore spiritually he is building a church. And the most predominant way, the most productive way, the most biblical and spiritual way to build a true church in these days is to preach to them the understanding that they need to be filled with the Spirit of God. That'll take care of everything else. If we can get folks focused and centered on and being filled with the Spirit of God living in the abundant life, having the power of the Holy Ghost in their everyday life, it will take care of everything else. Now we're not told in this Scripture how much money that Simon offered. But it's irrelevant. He had a price that he was willing to pay to have this power. Now I want to ask you this morning, what price are you willing to pay to have the power? I'm not up here preaching. I already said, Peter said, you can't buy the power of God. Now, I'm not up here this morning preaching that you can buy the power of God. I'm preaching this morning that this is a privilege that is available. I want you to hear me, and I'm taking my time. I've had a little trouble the last few days breathing, but that ain't why I'm taking my time. I'm taking my time so you understand this, and the Lord slowed me down this morning. Being filled with the Spirit of God, having the power of God, is a privilege available to every child of God. Man, woman, boy, or girl. Say for five months, five years, or 50 years, it's available to every child of God. But why is it that this precious thing that is beyond value, that's what Peter was telling Simon, there's no price that could be added to or attached to this. It's beyond price. It's beyond value to have the power of God. Why is it that so many people sell out the power for so little? Did you hear me? I'm not preaching about something you can do to make God give you the power. That's not the context of this Scripture nor of what God's put on my heart to preach. God's telling me to tell you it's available to you, but we've got to stop selling it out so cheap. Those pet sins, we're going to have to deal with them. We're selling out the power of God for some little thing that makes our flesh feel good. And God's putting His finger on somebody's heart this morning and saying, you know what? Now I'm not up here preaching this morning to you this morning for you to take inventory and try to figure it out. That's not the way God works. 
You already know and God knows. And He's already putting His finger on it. The minute I said it, God put His finger on it. That's the way God works. And there's something. There's some kind of problem. There's some kind of hindrance. There's some kind of petty sin in your life. And it may, it's not some gross open sin. That's not how God's dealt with my heart. But there's something in you. Maybe it's a root of bitterness. Or maybe it's heart hurt feelings against a brother or a sister or against somebody else. Maybe it's strife that's not been settled. But there's something in you that's causing you to sell out the power of God too cheap. Because the power is available. But it cannot be available. It cannot be enjoyed until these things are taken care of. And so what price will you put on the power of God? Would you rather have this petty sin? Or would you rather have the power of God? Would you rather hold hurt feelings against somebody that may not even know you've done them wrong? Or that they've done you wrong? Or would you rather have the power of God? You want to get hung up on what everybody... I, 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 I honestly, I just told the Lord. I, I tried to prepare and this is one of the things I couldn't prepare. I just said, Lord, I know this is what you want me to preach and so I'm just going to stand and you tell me what to say and I'm going to say it. Some hurt feelings. I don't know why I'm on that, but God said to be on it, so I'm on it. Some strife, some petty thing. I mean, we're Baptists and we're the experts at holding a grudge for 20 years and don't even remember what the grudge was for in the first place. And it's keeping us from having the power of God. And you look around at everybody else and they have power and you feel like you don't have power and it discourages you and it defeats you and in reality God's coming to you this morning and He's laying it all out before you and He says if you will deal with this and this and this you can have the power. And if you don't deal with those things then you are telling God that those things mean more to you than His power on your life. You say preacher that's kind of rough. Well it's just the truth. And I'm preaching from a heart of love this morning to you, to us. Them things are going to have to be dealt with. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. If you study the language of that verse, and I understand that in the Hebrew believer's case, it was the sin of unbelief. That's why the apostle dealt with them so strongly through the whole book on what they had in Christ and they needed to believe it. They were hindered by unbelief. They expected the Lord to come and He didn't come in their time frame and it hindered them and was continually hindering them. And the apostle said, you're just going to look to Him and believe. But the language of that verse means does so easy beset us. That means you're not going to just deal with it one day a year or every once in a while, but it's going to be a daily thing you have to deal with. And you're either going to let it trip you up, or you're going to push it out of the way and overcome it by the help of God, or because you're looking unto Jesus for the power to run the race. So what is it this morning that easily besets you? What sin is it this morning that you have to constantly deal with? 
I'm not up here this morning preaching that you're out living an ungodly and a wicked life. I'm preaching that you have struggles and so do I. And if we're not willing to deal with our constant battle, our thorn in the flesh, the sin, the sin, every one of us has a sin that easily besets us. For some it may be your mind. For some it may be your tongue. For some, it may be your uh, your uh, conversation with others, the way you conduct one. For some, it may be things in your past. Or for some, it may be people that have done you wrong and they've never got it right. You've tried to get it right and they won't get their things in all of our life that easily besets us. And the word beset means to trip you up and cause you to fall. Do you feel like you spend more of your race picking yourself back up from falling than you do running? If, there, if you do, then there's some kind of something that's easily besetting you and it's going to have to be dealt with. I'm not up here this morning preaching sinless perfection that if you deal with it today, you won't have to deal with it again tomorrow. But on the contrary, I will assure you, if you deal with it today, you will deal with it again tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. But the more you put your faith in Christ, and the more you trust Him, and the more you look to Him, the, I'm not saying it'll ever be real easy, but the easier it gets to deal with the sin that easily besets you. It's a daily struggle. And we walk around all the time living in defeat and discouragement, picking ourselves up out of the dust because we won't get rid and deal with those easily besetting sins and we lack having the power of God. What is it that's hindering? What price have you put? This is a personal Every message is personal, but this one is right down where the rubber meets the road. You and God are going to have to deal with this between yourselves. I may not name it. I'm going to try my best to preach everything that God tells me to preach. But if I don't name what it is, God's already named it. You know it, and it's going to have to be dealt with. And if you don't deal with it, then you're saying that it is worth more than the power of God. If you don't deal with it, we're doing no better than Simon the sorcerer and offering money to Peter to give him the power. We're estimating the power of God to be able to put a price tag to it and you cannot put a price tag on the power of God. If you have ever, <coughs> if you have ever experienced the power of God I'm not talking about, and see, there's so much misunderstanding. It's a very misunderstood doctrine being filled with the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about flashes of lightning and claps of thunder. And I'm not even technically talking about just a fleshly feeling. The feeling of the Spirit of God is more than just a feeling that you feel. But when you get up in the morning, you know that He's working in you and with you. And you go at each day in the fact that you know that there's power and help. It's working in you. That's what the Scripture means when it says, Now unto Him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. 
Paul was preaching to folks just assuming because they were saved they had the power of God working in them because it's available to every child of God. This thing of having the power of God. You can't go on. I really prayed and asked the Lord to help me this morning. You can't go on everybody else's experience and expect your experience to be just like theirs of being filled with the Spirit of God. Now you're looking at a preacher this morning that I believe if I've studied my Bible right that there will be some experience, some initial experience that you have with the power of God that you'll never get over and you'll never forget. But then there must be other experiences along the way. This is not a, we're not charismatics. I'm not preaching a one and done feeling of the Spirit. The reality is, the old preacher said it like this, we are leaky vessels. We live in the flesh and we leak. That's why we got to come to the house of God. If there was only a one-time feeling and that was enough, to, we, we would never have to assemble together. But we must assemble together. We need the holes patched. We need the leaks stopped. We need more of the power of God and more of the Spirit of God. And if you ever experience the power of God, you will not be satisfied with anything else but the power of God. And I'm inclined to believe, now I'm saying I believe, that that initial taste, that initial feeling will be the most magnificent one. I'm not saying that the experiences won't get higher and higher, but you'll always go back to that day. And when you're not living up to power, and when your spiritual life has sunk down, you'll always be reminded of that day, or at least that's the way it works with me. I can take you to the place and I don't want to say this. I even asked the Lord if I should say this, but it's on my heart. I'm not asking you to measure your experience by mine or to look for an experience like mine. But there'll have to be an experience somewhere in your life that you surrender, submit, get all the things out of your way, give all yourself to God and let Him fill you. In order to be filled, you've got to be empty. And so you've got to take care of all that other stuff by the help of God and submit yourself totally to Him and be ready to do whatever it is He asks and give yourself to God and He'll fill you. Amen. I've heard many people tell about their experiences. Some have had experiences in the woods. Some have had experiences on the mountaintop. Some have had experiences in their bedrooms. Some have had experiences wherever they've had an experience. I'll never forget on on, uh, August Sunday night. And from my experience, that's why I'm saying you can't not, I don't, you can judge my experience all you want to. It don't matter. It's not between you and me. It's between me and God. I know what happened. On a Sunday night in August, I was preaching. And sure, I've been preaching for probably. I don't know, five years. And I'd experience, you know, uh, every preacher has their own way. Me and Brother Jeremy Oak would talk a lot. And uh, I'd tell him, so he'll say, how'd it go? I said, well, I felt a, a, a thrust or a touch every once in a while. And that's, you know, sometimes that's the way it is. You feel real good about one part of a message, feel like the Lord's helping you. And in other parts, you know, just kind of not like it was in the other part. And I'd have those experiences. 
all throughout. I mean, I was saved, and God had called me, and He was going to help me preach. But He never had to help me preach like He was going to that night. And I remember standing behind the pulpit of another church and preaching. I remember what I was preaching on. I can't remember what I preached last Sunday. Most times, and I'm not trying to be funny. That's just how my, I don't. I'm not. A, I don't have a good memory, but I'll never forget. I was preaching out of the Book of Kings about the king come by to the prophet, and he said, "Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I'll give you a reward." And I was preaching on a heavenly homecoming. That one blessed day, the king's coming to tell us to come home and be. And I got over there. And I said, I'll never forget it. I walked down out of the pulpit on this side. Now see, you're sitting there this morning and you're analyzing everything I'm saying. You're not going to have my experience. Let God give you your own experience. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. And your experience, if you ever have an experience, will be just as real as my experience. I come around the pulpit on this side, walked off the stage, walking down like I do, preaching and it had a middle aisle like most churches do. And the pastor was sitting over here on this side of the church. And I was a preaching. I don't remember what all I was saying. I don't remember 95% of what I said that night. I don't even, uh, while I was preaching, I didn't even know where I was. And I'm not saying that to sound good. I'm being real. But I walked by the pastor and it dawned on me. And I turned to him and looked at him. And I don't look many people in the face while I'm preaching. I looked him in the face and I said, I wonder if that's what happened to old Enoch. One day the Lord said, Enoch, just come home with me and refresh yourself. Come home with me. Don't go back to your home. Come to my home. And man, it was just like the power of God. And that's what it was. I mean, we read the book of Acts chapter 2 of it coming like a mighty rushing wind. It couldn't have come any more real than it did on me that Sunday night. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I've not always preached in that power. I've not always lived in that power. But I've never got over what happened on that night when I first tasted of the power of God. And that's not for you to think that you have to be a preacher to enjoy the power. God didn't touch me with the power that night because I was a preacher and because I was preaching. He touched me with the power that night because I got to the place in my life that nothing was more valuable than the power of God. That's what I'm trying to preach this morning. You're going to have to get to the place that there's nothing more precious, more powerful, more valuable to you than having the power of God. No sin, no pride, no pleasure, no thing you might have to give. And you know, people, they back up mountain people, especially when the preacher goes to preaching about giving things up and putting things away. I'm not here to preach a list of things, but there is no list in this Bible anywhere where God says if you'll give up all these things, you'll have the power of God. But if God deals with you specifically about something that's hindering you, if you don't put it away, you'll not have the power of God. I believe that's right. I have never, and until the Lord tells me to, I'm just preaching. I'm your pastor and I'm preaching to you as such. I have standards given to me, I believe, by God for me and my family. I have never preached my standards to you ever. And until the Lord tells me to specifically, I'm not going to. But I am going to preach this. God will give you a standard. 
And He'll deal with your heart about specific things. If you've been saved for any length of time, you know that God has dealt with you specifically about things. And if it's something that God puts His finger on and says is between you and Him, if you'd give it up, you can get closer to Him. You better put it away or you'll not have the power of God. I think that really is what's meant by the verse to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. The thing may not necessarily be a sin but when God says give it up it's between us and you don't give it up it becomes a sin to you. I believe that's right. I believe that's right. And God will prove himself in that to you. God will honor you for obeying him. He said obedience is better than sacrifice. He would rather you obey. He gets more satisfaction out of one child of God's obedience than all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. That's right. And so there's something this morning. There's some price you have put on the power of God. And it's not a price you're willing to pay or wasn't willing to pay. Maybe now the Lord's dealt with your heart. And you're willing to pay the price. Some are already coming. You don't have to wait for me to get done. If you need to come to the altar, now's the time. If God's dealing with your heart. We're not, we're not here this morning. I'm not preaching to you about the fact that you're... I've not preached one thing about gross open sin and living in wickedness. God didn't put that... He didn't even put that in my mind or on my heart this morning. And if you care so much about what everybody else thinks anyway, it's going to be hard for you to have the power of God. (laughs) Matter of fact, I would dare say that that's probably over half or more of the people that struggle to have the power of God. The biggest struggle they have is what people might think about them if God fills them with His Spirit and then asks them to do something. If they have to testify or sing or shout or lift their hand or cry or praise the Lord, they're afraid of what what others might think. You're going to have to get past all that. You're going to have to get past all that. It's not about what we think. It ain't about what others think. It's ultimately about when you submit and surrender to God, you're saying, Lord, it matters to me more what you think than anybody else. And we can put on, and I'm trying to quit. I, I, I feel like I should have been quit a long time ago, but God won't let me quit. We can put on and pretend that we have the power of God and we may even convince others in the church, others even in our own home that we have the power of God. But God looks and He knows whether you have the power of God or not. doesn't mean that you don't enjoy His blessings. You're His child. doesn't mean that every once in a while you don't get that warm feeling, that flip-flop feeling that the brother was talking about. You're His child. He's going to touch you and stay on you. But the relationship could be much stronger. The connection could be much stronger. We talk about all these people in the past and while I've preached this morning, there's probably been somebody in your mind that immediately comes to your mind that you remember, that you knew or know that is filled with the power of God. And you think about all the things they do. You think about how they pray how they testify and all of these things. The reality is they don't have something that you can't have. God did not work out some special deal for them that He won't give the same to you. But it's available for every child of God. Every child of God that wants the power can have it. God 
It's not that you've named your price. God has revealed to you your price. He said, this is what's standing in the way. And it's going to have to be dealt with. And He don't want you to go home and think about it. And I don't, I don't preach this way very often. But when I know the Lord's leading me, He don't want you to go home and think for two weeks about it. He wants you to deal with it now. He's saying, if you want the power... I'm not trying to talk you into something. God's dealing with your heart. If He can't get you here, I sure can't. And even if I could, I couldn't help you when I got you here. But what God's saying is, here it is. It's time to deal with it now. Now. It's what He wants. Obedience. Now. It's not obedience. not complete obedience when you have to go home and think about some terms. God's not in the negotiation business. He said, this is it. And deal with it now. And you can have the power of God. While we stand all over the house, I'm done. Some have already come, done their business.